Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's pray this morning together as we consider the word of God. Father, we thank you for this morning that we have uh, to, to worship you and to recognize you as holy and good. God, I pray that as we dwell on your word that we would be inspired to worship, that we would learn to love you and trust you more as you transform our hearts from one degree of glory to the next. God, we, we thank you for this. Um, Father, be with me and, and help me to be faithful to your word and your character and, and be with all of us as we, as we learn of you and your character. Thank you, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, good morning. My name's TJ. I am an elder candidate at Freshwater Church, and in case you don't know what that means, uh, basically I'm not yet a pastor and elder here, uh, but I will be soon. In fact, uh, I'm scheduled to be ordained in April, so if we haven't met yet, uh, please, and if you're thinking about joining, please come talk to me. I'd love to, I'd love to meet you. Um, I'd love to have that conversation with you so you can get to go, uh, know me as well. Um, but for the rest of you, those who do know me, please hold me accountable for the things I do and more relevantly for this morning for the things I'm about to say because even though I'm obviously I'm grateful for the opportunity to share this morning, I do not take it lightly. I'm aware that, that I'm about to exposit what might be uh, considered one of the most cherished portions of the Word of God, but if I do my job right, um, it will inspire us all to worship. So um, over the past month or so, we've been preaching once again through a series we call Hallowed Be Your Name. Uh, this is a series on the Lord's Prayer. During a famous sermon that Jesus was preaching called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus taught his followers how to pray. Uh, first of all, uh, elementary kids in the room, I'll ask this question, what is prayer? Anybody got me? What have we been saying prayer is? Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Harrison. A conversation with God. Uh, that is what prayer is. Uh, it's, we've been saying prayer is a conversation with God, and it's a spiritual encounter with God. And Jesus has generously given us this gift of a guide for how we are to have this conversation and interaction. And Jesus has shown us through the past several verses how he wants us to pray. And, and the reason that this display is so important is that Jesus is God. And we've been reading this passage for a while, and, and although we, we, of course, know that Jesus is God, we need to remember that in this context. God is telling us how he wants to be spoken to, and we, we shouldn't just shrug that off. Let's read this prayer through again to see how God wants us to talk to him. This is Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And when Jesus, who is God, tells us how we should pray, two things pop into my mind. First of all, this is how we should pray. No, we don't, we don't need to recite word for word what Jesus says in the original Aramaic or, or even in, in our English translation in order to pray properly. 
right? I mean, I mean, Paul writes so many other letters after this point, uh, and, he, and he writes prayers in these, and we consider these letters scripture, and he doesn't quote the Lord's Prayer every time he prays. So, so clearly there, there are other prayers we can pray besides this one, but the Lord's Prayer is God's template given to us for how we should pray to him. And that brings me to my second observation. This is how God told us he wants to be addressed. And we, we are the church, the bride of Christ. We have an intimate relationship with God as Christians. Now, I'll ask those of us who are married or, or are hoping to be, uh, if your significant other gave you a way to communicate with them that they loved, that was, that was clear, direct, simple, uh, you could repeat it, wouldn't, wouldn't you use that? <laughs> I mean, I love my wife, and, and we've, we have had to, and we still have to, clarify how we want to be spoken to and, and treated, right? Married people, is that accurate? For, yeah, okay, great. <laughs> um, glad to know I'm not alone. Uh, but, but God is clear, direct, and consistent. So much so that, that, he on, that only he has shown us how to be a human in communication with him. And he did this by becoming a human who communicates with him. And, and the reason I bring that up this morning is this. Jesus, as a perfect example for humans, is showing us what is important, and that namely is hallowing God's name. We can take every part of this prayer and point to how it is, in fact, just an element of making much of the name of God. Each, each part of this prayer is meant to worship the Lord and to prove his holiness. The, be, the beginning is obvious. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's right there. Or may your name be made holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And who, who gets to bring the kingdom? The king. O- only the king gets to establish his will upon that kingdom. Only the king. And the king is set apart. He's, he's holy. Give us this day our daily bread. Why? So that we can continue to bring glory and honor to the king. So he can be known as holy and, and set apart. That is the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. And this is why we called the whole series, Hallowed Be Your Name. That's, that's what prayer is all about. We bring honor, glory, and praise to his name. And so we come to our verse for this morning, which is Matthew six twelve, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If you've heard me preach before, you may have picked up on a tendency I have to paint a picture of, of terrible news and then come in at the very end with the happy part. Um, and I still may do that. But, but I also want to begin with this. If we are to understand that the Lord's Prayer is all about God's name being hallowed or glorified or honored or made holy, then this verse is so sweet and comforting and, and altogether relieving. Like, seriously, like what, what a relief that, th- that this is how God taught us to pray. Uh, God is telling us something important here. God's, God's name is hallowed. God's name is made holy. It's worshipped when he forgives debts. Now, what does that, what does that show us? Because I, I don't want to gloss over that. What does that show us? It shows us that God wants to forgive sin. God wants to do that. 
And how much, how much does he want that? He wants it enough to die for it, right? He, want, he wants it as much as he wants to glorify his own name. And we can be sure of that. And here's what, here's what the prophet Micah says about the Lord in Micah 7.18. Do we have the Micah passage there? Yes. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Your translation might say he delights in mercy. God, God likes to forgive. He delights in it. And this, of course, is excellent news for us because we all know we're sinners. We all know we aren't good enough for God. He's perfect. We're not. And even, even though the world is, is pushing hard against that reality, and it is, I, I think it's safe to say, though, that, that even most non-Christians would still likely admit to not being perfect. Even though there's been a push for self-acceptance or self-love or living your truth, even, even still, people still know that they have flaws. At, at least deep inside, they, they know that they do. But what I think people might fail to realize is that these imperfections, these flaws, these sins, are, are generating a spiritual debt. We, we owe a debt to God for the sins we've committed. And this is, this is why Jesus tells us to pray to God this way in Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, real quick, we, we know that we're talking about a spiritual debt we owe because of sin and not any other type of debt uh, because of the context of the rest of the prayer, right? We, we aren't talking about money or anything like that. Uh, if we continue on, and I'll try not to steal your verse, uh, I'll just borrow it for a second um, uh, for next week. But Jesus, Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 13 through 15, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So the, so the rest of the language in this passage is, is referring to moral debt, right? But the, this also isn't the only time in Scripture that we see our sins against God compared to a financial matter. And you, you've probably heard this verse before. I hope you have. I'm sure most of us have. Uh, but let's get Romans 6.23 on the board if we can. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Once again, we see that, that God gives the gift of forgiveness freely and gladly. He enjoys it. But what I want us to take note of is, uh, is this word wages. We use that word all the time, to as a way to describe what is owed to a person after a task they perform, right? Oh, I, I, can, do, I can do that job. What is the hourly wage? What, what am I going to get for doing that? What are you going to give me? What are you going to owe me? What will your debt to me be? But in this verse, the wage is, well, it's not good. <laughs> the wage of sin is death. When we sin, we are owed death. This is the debt we have built for ourselves. 
So naturally, when, when we pray, we ask for God to forgive this debt. If, if, we are, if we are truly having a genuine conversation and spiritual encounter with God, and we know in our heart of hearts what the nature and size of this debt is, and we know the character of God and, and his love for mercy, of course that's how we would pray. Father, please forgive my debt. I, I can't afford this. It's going to kill me. Please forgive me. I know you want to. Please forgive me. But Jesus says something else as well. Matthew six twelve. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And some of us want to read this verse and see two statements here. Uh, God forgive us and also may we forgive others. And neither of those things are bad to pray. Please pray both of those things. Those are good. You should want that. But there's a different idea being communicated here. And it's from that one little word, as. This, this word, as, it's just one tiny little word, but it, it changes the entire meaning of this phrase. It's not forgive us our debts and we have forgiven our debtors. The idea being put forward here is that we are supposed to pray that God forgives our debt as we forgive our debtors. In other words, in the same way, at the same time, with the same consistency, uh, of the same kind as, just like, in the same fashion. And if we're honest, some of us recoil at that suggestion, right? Like that, that, that doesn't sound right. It kind of sounds like God's forgiveness has stipulations attached, right? It, it, it almost sounds like works-based salvation. God forgive me, but, but only as much as I forgive others? Is that Right? And I like to think that, that Jesus saw those thoughts coming because he says a couple verses later in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, what do we do with that? Like, what do we do with this? There, there are many people, and maybe some of them are here this morning, that, that would be troubled by this idea. Is, is Jesus proposing a works-based forgiveness? Why, why would he tell us to pray this way and not just ask for forgiveness, right? Why, why put a stipulation on God's mercy? Also, haven't our sins already been forgiven, Right? Like, why, why are we praying for something that's, that's already been given to us? What I want to do this morning is, is point out three really important truths about our debt to God, others' debts to us, and how all these things are influenced by prayer. So if you're a notes person, here's the three points. The reason I believe, the reasons I believe that Jesus teaches his followers to pray like this are, one, we need to worship God for his holiness by recognizing the debt that our sin has put us in. Two, we need to worship God for his mercy he shows when he transforms our hearts to be more like him. And three, we need to worship God for his 
love, and participate in it so we can enjoy who he is. And Jesus paints a picture of these truths together in a parable, in fact, later on in the same book. So please turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. So just turn a few pages and we'll get to Matthew 18. Elementary kids. Uh, Miss Story told you a story before service um, of, a, of a man who was like the really young brother. Anybody remember his name? Well, yes. No, were you? <laughs> um, but yes. Yeah, Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph that you learned earlier today? With his, with his coat, and they, they, they killed the animal, and they you know, threw him in the pit, all this. Um, so that was a good example of what forgiveness can look like when it works. But Jesus tells us a story in Matthew 18 that is kind of the other side of the coin. This is what it looks like when forgiveness isn't happening. Um, So this is Matthew 18, and we'll start in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So, so this parable is being told in response to a question from Peter one of Jesus' disciples, and Peter asks, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As as many as seven times? Now, to give Peter credit here, uh, scholars believe that the the Jewish rabbis at this time were teaching that uh, you were to forgive people for the same offense against you three times. On the fourth time, you were no longer obligated to forgive them because they proved themselves to be doing it repeatedly. They were free to stop forgiving So when Peter asks this question, Jesus responds with, depending on your translation, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times, seven times, which is 490 times. Um, And if we can't move on until we know which one of those is more accurate, then we've entirely missed the point. Because the point is this. Peter Peter is asking Jesus essentially the equivalent to, uh, Jesus, do do we have to forgive our brothers a generous amount of times? a large amount of times, like a lot of times, several times. And Jesus' response is, is essentially not, he says, no, I'm not saying to you a lot of times. I'm not saying to you a generous number of times. I'm saying a preposterous amount of time, a ridiculous number of times, every time. And, and to support this proposal, Jesus begins telling the story of a servant who owes the king some money. Um, I'm actually I'm burying the lead. It's not just a bit of money, uh, ten thousand talents. Uh, and once again, we would be doing ourselves a disservice if if we if we just really had to hone in. On, oh, oh where, how much is that in today's dollars? Uh, historians have debated this. Uh, some people think that a talent is as much as twenty years' wages. Some people think it's more like one year's salary. But uh, even the most conservative estimate puts this at somewhere near one hundred million dollars. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it's a bit of, a bit of money. Um, 
more to the point, anyone who heard this story in Jesus' time would have known not to try to calculate this out. If Jesus told this parable today in 21st century America, he might say uh, that you should have to pay off the national debt from your bank account. Like, like it, don't, don't get out your calculator, don't check your, your, your bank online. It's, not gonna, it's just not gonna happen. Like this is a ridiculous amount of money. And Jesus says that this parable he's telling is a, is a fitting picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like, right? And, that, and that's because each one of us, every human being throughout all of human history, owed this debt, or at least the spiritual equivalent to this debt. Remember, the wages of sin is death. Death is the only way we can pay our debt. But really, that's not even true because our, our death isn't enough to pay for this debt. In order, in order for us to approach a sufficient payment for this debt, we would have to die eternally, forever. Why is that? How can this be? Is that not overdoing it? Not at all. How, how, holy, how holy is God? God is perfectly holy. He is eternally holy. God is infinitely good and holy. So any sin we commit is an affront to eternal holiness. And as many excellent preachers have, have said or described it, I think R.C. Sproul coined this, but sin is cosmic treason. And just as this servant owed his king an insurmountable amount of money, we also owe a moral and spiritual debt to God that we cannot hope to repay because the nature of our crime is infinite. Consider it. The fine for jaywalking is naturally lower than whatever you'd have to pay for theft, burglary, which is also lower than, than whatever punishment you would receive for murder, right? Typically, in our justice system, the larger the crime, the larger the punishment. That's justice. So natu naturally, the most egregious crime you could commit would be punished by the most severe debt in order for justice to be done. And the worst crime ever to be committed is treason against the king of all of reality. And that's what we do. Every, every time we sin, that's what we're doing. Cosmic treason. But we haven't reached the end of this parable yet, so um, we'll continue reading in Matthew 18 and verse 26. Here's how the servant responds to his sentence. So, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now here in a bit, we'll, we'll go into how insane that actually is that this man offered to somehow repay this debt. Um, but the more pertinent detail for now is that the, the king witnessed the lowly state of the servant and he forgave him. This is one of the reasons we ask for forgiveness when, when we pray. Yes, if you are in Christ, your sins, past, present, future, were forgiven, paid for thousands of years ago at the crucifixion. Of course, 
Yes, amen. But we continue to ask for forgiveness because, because it honors God for his holiness. When we recognize just how much holier he is than we are. He's worthy of perfect servants. And that's not us. So, so when we pray, we, when we have a spiritual encounter with the holy king of all of the universe, we should recognize his holiness by asking for forgiveness. And also, bonus, he loves to forgive. Maybe some of you can resonate with this. Maybe you can't. But I love cooking. I actually really like it. Some people think it's a chore. I, I love to do it. Um, and sometimes Kayla will ask me uh, to cook for her, to cook her something. Um, she, knows, she knows that I want to. She knows that I will. I probably was already going to because I, I enjoy it. But I still love it when she asks me to do that. It, pr- it proves she knows I like cooking. She knows me. She knows about me. It proves that she's grateful when I cook, right? She, she's thankful for it. It proves that the food I make might even be something good, something she likes. Um, and it, it makes me seem like a good cook when other people hear her ask for me to cook something. It makes me seem like I might be actually good at it. It honors me. And that, this is how I imagine God reacts to being asked for things. We, we've talked about this for the past couple of weeks now, but, but God loves it when we ask for things that he has already promised to give us. But, so let's, let's not put forgiveness in a different category, right? Y- yes, we know God has already forgiven us if we're his children, but when we continue to ask forgiveness, we, we aren't doing so as, as if his forgiveness will fail or it will run out. We, we ask for it because it honors him. It, it shows our need for him, and it shows his worthiness to the world around us. And as, as we continue to pray and have these spiritual encounters and conversations with God, we hope that we become more like him. We, we hope to learn and, and forgive like him. But unfortunately, it doesn't always work out this way, as we'll see as we continue in Matthew 18 starting again in verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who had owed him a hundred denarii. For the sake of comparison, uh, this is at worst an inconvenient amount of money to be owed. We're talking like a couple thousand dollars at the most, right? Which isn't nothing, but it's also not even a drop in the bucket when we compare it to the, this enormous debt that the servant once owed to the king. Moving on. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. It's the same phrase that the first servant used when pleading with the king. And the hope here is that, that we would see the mercy he received from the king would, would have inspired him to have mercy as well. Unfortunately, no, because he, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. For the kids, imagine you got like a Skittles factory. Like imagine I gave you a factory that made Skittles, right? You got as many Skittles as you could ever want. And then you see some dude across the street and he's got a Skittle too and you're like, hey, I want that one. 
Give me that. You've you got a factory, but then you go and beat somebody up so you can take one from them. It just doesn't make any sense. It's just not, you've got, you've got a factory. Anyway, but that is kind of the, the picture that Jesus paints of, of the essence of unforgiveness. An unforgiving man is like a servant who owed an incalculable debt and getting that debt completely forgiven and then putting his fellow man in a chokehold for a dollar. That's, that's what's happening. Look, I get it. I'm, I'm also a human who has to fight with sin. I have to war against it. And I'm, not, I'm not trying to patronize anyone here. I have had to fight against unforgiveness. But here's the truth. Even the most vile, disgusting, evil sin a person has committed against you is less evil than what every single one of us human beings has done to God. I'll say it again. Any sin that has been committed against you is less evil than the cosmic treason we enact against God every single time we sin. How can, how can we say that? When people sin against you, they're essentially saying that what they want is in fact more important than what you want or more important than you are. This, of course, is untrue. And the consequences for, for acting this way can bring pain and, and destruction. But, but when we say that to God, that what we want is more important than what he wants, or, or when we show that we believe that what we want is more important than what God commands or what he wants, when we show that we actually believe we would make a better king than God, not only will that once again lead to hurting others, but, but now we're adding cosmic treason to the list. And, I, and I'm speaking as if it's possible to, to sin against another person without sinning against God, and the truth is that's impossible. You know, God, God is such an empathetic and personable king that, that he takes every wrong that has ever been done to another person as a personal and punishable offense. And forgiveness is, is not an easy thing for us human beings to do, right? Not, not by a long shot. It's not easy. But it becomes easier <laughs> the more we understand the severity of the debt that we once owed to God. Because, because when we understand how massive our debt was, then we can understand how massive God's forgiveness is. And this, I believe, is why Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we also have also forgiven our debtors. I spot two massive misconceptions this unforgiving servant had in this parable. And we clearly just saw one of them, right? Like this man choked another man for a few bucks after having been forgiven a, a debt for billions, potentially. But I, but I want to look again about how this man responded to the king's original sentencing, right? So let's go back, Matthew 18, verse 25. It says this. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him. It's a decent start. But here's what he says. Have patience with me and... I will pay you everything. 
And here's where I propose that this servant's delusions began. I will pay you everything. Master, king, lord, please just give me a quick 200,000 years, all right? I won't eat anything, I won't drink anything, I won't live anywhere, and then all my wages can go to you for the next 200,000 years, and then I'll be debt-free. Like, that's insane. (laughs) That's not a thing a rational person says, right? But, But I'd like to propose this. That anyone who cannot, finds that they can't forgive their brother, has some of this mentality in them. If you genuinely look at a person who has wronged you and, you and you can't forgive them, or worse, maybe, think that you shouldn't forgive them, there's at least one of two things that you are doing. You might be saying, as this man did, that you could have paid your sin debt to God on your own. If God had just given you enough time, you, you would do more right than wrong and, and pay off this debt. Sure, God helped you with the process, but your heart was already in the right place, unlike that guy who hurt me, right? Like, he's a sinner. He needs to apologize to me for what he did to me. And that lady who did me wrong, uh, she owes me so much time and money <coughs> after the heartache that she put me through that, but, but luckily for me, I would never act that way to God, right? He made a good investment with me. I, but I would have got that debt paid off by myself if I had just had enough time, you know, even without. <clears throat> That's one way you might think, if you can't forgive. Or maybe subconsciously, you find God to be a fool. Forgiveness is for the birds. Sure, sure, God forgave me, but, but I find that justice is better implemented when I make people pay me back for the wrong they've done. God's way of mercy just isn't quite doing it for me, and I need a tangible repayment for the wrong that has been done to me. God is doing this whole king of the universe thing, just wrong. He's just doing it wrong. I can do better. And in either case, what we failed to realize is that our, t- our debt was, in fact, too large for us to even be able to put a dent in it to contribute anything to paying it back. God had to forgive it. We, we couldn't do anything about it. <clears throat> so we pray, forgive us our debt. And in this recognition, we accomplish goal number one, which is we need to worship God for his holiness by recognizing the debt that our sin has put us in. Father, we recognize your holiness, and our inability to to ever measure up on our own accord. Forgive us our debts. And when we pray like this, we also begin to accomplish goal number two, which is that we need to worship God for his mercy he shows when he transforms our hearts to be more like him. We'll look again to the unforgiving servant to see a display of the, of the opposite of what true forgiveness will bring. This is Matthew 18, starting again in verse 31. This is just after the unforgiving servant has thrown his coworker in prison. <clears throat> when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. <clears throat> <clears throat> 
And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you that debt. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. <coughs> Note what the king had wanted the servant to do. Clearly, he was upset that his servant was cruel to his other servant, and obviously he didn't like that, but, but what his hope was, he says his hope, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? But we saw that right off the bat, this servant had, had no intentions of, of ever doing anything of the sort. And, and this little section right here is, is why I'm confident that this parable is not speaking to the loss of salvation, right? The, ser- the servant represented someone who, who maybe heard about hell at a revival and decided, hey, I don't want to go there, and then prayed the prayer and then did whatever he could to promptly forget all about God and forgiveness and anything else that the Lord had to offer or was going to demand of him, right? Now, I'm not saying that if you've ever struggled with forgiveness or forgiving someone that that you just haven't ever been a Christian. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that if you find yourself chronically unable to forgive people who've wronged you, you, you may have a wrong understanding of the forgiveness that God has for you. In fact, you, you must. <laughs> and, and, you're, and maybe your heart may never have been changed to a heart that longs to follow God. Either way, the solution is prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a prayer for forgiveness from God. But it's also a request for God to change your heart to a heart that forgives. If sin is cosmic treason, what is cosmic fealty? What does cosmic loyalty look like? Sin is, is what it looks like to rebel against God's rulership, but the, but the opposite of that would then be to pray that God would transform you to be more like him. Sin, treason, when you're not like God at all. Loyalty, fealty, to pray to be more like God. And that's sin that is rebelling against God's rulership. It's, I'm sorry. It's, so when we, when we forgive others um, and when we ask God to help us be able to forgive others, it's, it's telling God that we, we can't hope to forgive without his heart changing grace. Uh, and as we see through this, this parable, uh, as we see through the Lord's Prayer and the rest of Scripture, this is, this is in fact another thing that God longs to do. He longs to transform hearts. It's something he delights in. Uh, can we get Ephesians 2 up on the screen? Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Uh, this might be in the top five passages that are referenced at Freshwater Sermons. Uh, it's, it's because it's a very rich 
and, and direct uh, description of the impact of the gospel. And specifically in this case, forgiveness. So as we read this, think about what we've been talking about today in regards to our hearts and forgiveness from the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Kids, elementary kids, uh, do you remember when you were bringing those gifts to JT who was pretending to be a king and letting you into the kingdom? Do you remember, you remember which gift let you come into the kingdom? What could you possibly bring to, to the king? That let, that let you come in. You remember? I'm trying to hear it. I'm, maybe I'm just having trouble hearing. But it's the, it was the transformed heart, right? Like Jesus being in you. This is, this is what brings you into the kingdom of God. Remember that sticker? I think some of you still have them on. God loves to bring people from death to life. He loves to forgive sins. He wants to. He longs for it. He desires it. And he loves to save his children, to bring them to good works that he has prepared beforehand. So when we pray, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, we're, we're asking God to forgive us. And when, we, and when we ask for God to forgive us with legitimate humility, he will. Uh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because he loves to. He delights in it. it. It hallows his name. And at the same time as we're praying for that, we're also praying for God to transform our hearts to become more like him. And, and if we ask for this transformation in legitimate humility, he will transform us. 2 Corinthians three, seventeen and 19 says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Why? Because he loves to. He, he wants to do this. He delights in it. It hallows his name. And we are also praising God for this transformation. When we pray this, we're praising God for this transformation. We're thanking him for having done this thing, for having done this work in our hearts that, that, we, could, that we could never hope uh, to, to have even one righteous quality at work in us without him. So we thank him for this. Know this, when, when you forgive someone, 
you are participating in God's love and kindness. People will talk about vocational preachers or whatever, any ministry leader or whatever, and say, they're, oh, they're doing, look at them, they're doing the Lord's work. And that's true, as long as their preaching or their, or their ministry is, is supporting what's true, right? But, but I feel much more comfortable saying that when you forgive your brother from your heart, then that is doing the Lord's work. That this forgiveness, when we forgive, you are doing what God does. You are forgiving. That's, that's insane. That should, that should make you want to go out and forgive people actively, right? Like the, You get to do a thing that God did for you. You get to participate in that. Now, obviously, not, it's not the same, but, but how great is it that we get to act like him? So good. And that brings us to our third and final goal. When we pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We are recognizing this. We need to worship God for his love and participate in it so we can enjoy who he is. And at one point, I have more written on this, um, but not surprisingly, there is a psalm that communicates uh, everything that we've referenced this morning in a very beautiful way. And we've been closing each one of our sermons in this series with a prayer from Scripture. So uh, I'll be doing that this morning with Psalm 51. So if you want to turn, it should be almost smack dab in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 51. This psalm was written just after, um, just after David committed what is largely considered to be his most destructive act of sin. Uh, This was written just after Nathan the prophet confronted him for stealing another man's wife and sending that man then to be killed in battle. Um, Perhaps you're familiar with the story of of Bathsheba. Um, So so we know that at this time God's forgiveness is is heavy on his mind when he's writing it. But but as we turn there, I I want to close my thoughts with this. God is even capable of forgiving unforgiveness as long as you repent of it, right? So, so if, you're, if you're struggling with forgiving someone, um, don't just give up. <laughs> Please, pray. Like, just, just as we've been talking about this whole, the whole time, prayer, this is how you, you ask God for forgiveness. Please transform my heart. Please help me to forgive. And if you need that prayer, if you need someone to pray with you through that prayer, there will be people over there. I'll be over there. I'm sure a number of other people will be over there if you want to come pray with us. Please do, but just just know this: there there is hope for for you. And assuming that they're still living, um, there there's hope for the person you're trying to forgive. But let's pray through the psalm as we pray together for a forgiving heart from the Lord that we should be united with Him in forgiveness. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. 
Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Amen. So church, please, if you need anything, I'll be over here. Music team, if you would come on up. Um, church, I love you. I'm excited to, to be able to to be able to deliver this this word from you know this is this is the Bible and we we take it seriously. So um, love you all. Let's let's pray. Let's continue to pray that God would transform our hearts to be more and more like Him. Um, and let us pray through these songs.